Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, sponsored by WebSpy and Catter Bags. It's June 7, 2010, and this is episode 246. It's been 10 whole days since I got my iPad, and now that I've stopped playing with it and customizing it with my favorite apps and a few new ones, I've started to really use it as a tool. So today, I figured I'd give you a rundown of the things that I've been getting up to with my iPad and mention a few of the things that I think need improving on on the device itself. Before we jump into the main topic, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, WebSpy, the internet monitoring, analysis and reporting specialist. And as usual, I'd like to ask you to tweet the message. Thanks to at WebSpy for sponsoring the at Martin Bailey Photography Podcast on Twitter to show your support. Find out more about WebSpy and their products, go to webspy.com MBP and use the discount code MBPWSY for a 10% discount on anything that you buy. I'd also like to say a huge thanks to Kata Bags for sponsoring the podcast for the month of June. Kata are continuously introducing innovative, lightweight, yet protective photo bags and video bags designed to work with the photographer. Do check out the review that I did of their 3N133 sling backpack in episode 245. And remember that I'm giving away one of these bags on Twitter at the end of June. And all you have to do to be in with a chance of walking away with the bag is to make sure that you're following me on Twitter and tweet a message that I have posted on the blog. There's a link to the giveaway page with exactly what you need to post and actually just a, a click to, to launch you into Twitter and post that for you. Um, and I'll put a, a link to that page into the show notes. Uh, or you can go to bit.ly, uh, the bit.ly slash mbpga2 for details. I picked up my iPad on May 28th, which was the day that the iPad went on sale in most countries outside of the US. Today I'll talk about how I'm using my iPad now and throw in a few useful app suggestions as well as covering um, what I'm not doing with reasons why and a few small areas that really need to be improved to make this little device the photographer's utopia if it isn't already. The first thing that you'll notice when you hold an iPad for those that haven't had a chance yet is that it's the perfect size to just sit on the sofa and hold when you view ebooks or browse the web, for example, the weight is enough to feel the quality, but not enough to feel sort of heavy when you're using the iPad. Of course, the most obvious use of the iPad for the photographer is to use it to show your portfolio of images to others. One of the first things that I did was sync my best shots to the iPad just to see how good they look, and they look great. I had high expectations and it totally lived up to them. The screen is 9.7 inches diagonally with 10 24 by 768 resolution at 132 pixels per inch so it's incredibly sharp. And by the way I'll embed some screenshots into the blog post and the enhanced podcast so that you can take a look. 
obviously you won't see the resolution um, because you're viewing it on a different screen, but you can at least sort of see the sort of screens that I'm looking at as we talk. The iPad technical specs state that the screen is fingerprint resistant, which I think must mean that fingerprints are easily removed, which they are. It's misleading though, in that these things, uh, you know, they do tend to get covered in fingerprints. After you've washed your hands and there's no oil in your skin, they are fine for a while. But unless you wash your hands every time you touch the screen, there will be fingerprints. I find though that when there are noticeable fingerprints, a microfiber cloth like the ones that you use to clean your lens with will clean the screen with a few wipes. And also, after you have washed your hands, you can easily remove fingerprints by just rubbing your thumb or you know a couple of fingers over the screen a couple of times. After I'd simply copied my library of best shots to the iPad, I exported my current 44-image Nature of Japan portfolio to a directory on my hard disk and synced that to the iPad. I initially made a mess of this, though, by trying to be clever and resizing my images. Because the screen is 1024 pixels wide, I tried exporting my images with the maximum long edge of 1024 pixels, 1024 pixels. This was actually how I had my portfolio synced when I met Marcus Bain, a great photographer living here in Japan, the day after I got my iPad. The first thing Marcus did when I showed him the portfolio is, you know, use the multi-point technology where you place two fingers on the screen and then spread them apart to zoom in, in onto the image. And of course, this doesn't give you a sharp image if you have the photos resized to 1024 pixels. Luckily, I had uh, my other images on there still, so Marcus could still have a play with them and, and check the sharpness, as a photographer instinctively does. But the first thing that I did when I got home was re-exported my portfolio without any resizing. I'm sure that there's an optimum size to resize images to for the iPad, but as iTunes will do all of the resizing and sharpening necessary to display images in amazing quality and give you a certain amount of zoomability, I decided to just export my images without any resizing at all. I can then just use that folder of JPEGs for slideshows, etc. As well, you know, as just anything else where I'll just need a quick JPEG image. So, you know, it really isn't a big deal to have the full-size JPEGs sitting on my hard drive. One thing that I've noticed, though, that I don't like about the iPad, and I have raised this as an enhancement request with Apple, is that you can't specify how images are sorted in the Photos application, which is the native image viewer on the iPad. I usually order the images in my portfolio in a pleasing or aesthetic way, and then when I export my portfolio images from Lightroom, I have a preset that will add two digits, you know, like two numbers to the start of the file name with an underscore to separate it. And basically, so it saves the images out with that, you know, the two numerical digits at the start. And this means that when you view the images sorted by file name, they're in your intended order. The iPhone actually orders images by file name, so I always have my portfolio in the correct order 
that I want it on my iPhone. So I was surprised that when I cranked up the photo viewer on the iPad and saw my images in a totally different order. On closer inspection, it seems that the images are ordered by capture date uh, you know, of the original digital image. Now, this, of course, is another way which I would like to view the images. I have a whole bunch of folders that are just named by the year, and these are more like a yearly photographic diary that I like to have with me. And this is, you know, great sorted by the creation date. Because, you know, it starts with images from January 1st and it ends with images from December 31st. Apple are great at taking away confusing configurations and decisions from the end user, but on this occasion I think we need a little bit more control. My enhancement request was for the ability to sort on a file name as well as create date, and to have the ability to specify ascending or descending order. I also would like to be able to do this by folder and not generic setting for all image folders on the device, because there are times when capture date is preferred. Okay, so that's negative point number one. Not a showstopper by any means, but I hope Apple decides to change this functionality in the near future. One other negative thing about the Photos application is that when you sync from iTunes, if you select a folder to sync that contains a lot of subfolders, they're all displayed as one larger album on the iPad even when you select the Albums tab in the Photos application. This is annoying because I want to display you know, my best shots in their year folder and have my portfolio shots in another folder. To make this possible, you have to actually go down a level in your file system and tell iTunes that you want to sync each of the folders individually. This means that I can't just say, okay, sync my best folders folder and make sure that my yearly folders and my portfolio folders and everything are all there. I have to select each folder individually on the lower level by selecting each one of them in iTunes. I can live with this, but I'm not a fan of changing how I organize my computer because of you know conditions imposed on me from third parties. The slideshow feature in the Photos app is pretty cool. You can turn music on and select any track that you have synced to your iPad in your music library. There are a number of transitions to choose from, such as Cube, Dissolve, Ripple, Wipe, Origami. Wipe is probably the most orthodox transition. These, you know, these are great to play with, though. And, you know, even the origami transition can be fun. But I find that the way it, you know, it crops images to make its three image spread can be a little bit unkind to nature photos. Definitely uh, worth having a play with, though. I'll put a few screenshots from the iPad into the Enhanced Podcast and on my blog, as I say. So, you know, you'll be able to see what I mean. But... When viewing an iPad or an image full screen, if you tap on the image, you'll get a narrow thumbnail bar at the bottom of the screen. And when you run your finger along it, it 
literally whizzes through your images as fast as you can run your finger along the thumbnail bar. You can also hold the image with two fingers and turn it and the image will rotate under your fingers as well as expand and contract. This isn't particularly useful but it gets a good reaction when showing people how cool the iPad is. Pinching closes the image and returns you to the thumbnail view and then if you pinch the screen again you'll go up to the next album level. To open images or albums you can either tap them or use two fingers and spread them apart and of course simple swiping on images and albums will move you through the pages you know either either screen of albums or images it'll just move you through them pretty swiftly before we move on uh, from the display of photos one other great feature is the picture frame if you go to the settings panel on the ipad you'll see an option called picture frame in there you can set a transition and a few other settings and you can also select to display all photos or specific albums and then when you turn on your iPad and you see that slider that you have to slide with your finger to unlock the iPad you'll notice a little icon to the right of that slider with a, a flower on it and if you click on that or tap that you will automatically turn your iPad iPad into a picture frame and the images in the album that you selected will start to display on the iPad without you having to go into it and select photo the photos app navigate to your album and turn it on the slideshow this is very handy if you just want to quickly show your images or even set the iPad down on the table or a stand and just use it as a digital picture frame okay so I can't believe that I've had so much to say just about photos on the iPad. Let's move on to some other great things that you have to check out. As I mentioned, web pages look absolutely amazing on the iPad, as long as they're not flash based, of course. I'm sure you're sick of hearing about this, so I, I won't go into detail, but basically, the iPad doesn't have, um, and from what, I, what I'm hearing, probably never will have flash support. Sure, there are arguments that it's a battery life hog and you know there may be a few bugs in Flash, whatever. I personally think that it should be supported because if there were bugs, Adobe would fix them as they usually do. So, you know, I just wish that Apple would get over this and give us Flash. Apart from that though, really websites look amazing on the iPad. I have found myself doing more web browsing than ever before just because I can do it from the sofa sitting next to my wife who, you know, I think is also pleased that I bought the iPad in the end just because it's keeping me off my main PC more than she could have imagined. Videos also look great on the iPad. You can sync videos just like photos from the same dialogue in fact and if you have videos on in your iTunes uh, library, it will just sync them to the iPad as well. The speaker on the iPad is surprisingly good for the size, so you don't always need to use earphones, unless of course you're annoying other people with the music or sounds coming out of the speaker. Some sites like Vimeo.com will dish up video to the iPad too, so you can go over to vimeo.com slash martinbailey, for example, 
and check out my videos if you're looking for some video content to give a try. Currently though, the video um, on Vimeo, <laughs> difficult to say, is uh, when you go full screen, it doesn't actually go full screen on the iPad, um, from a browser that is. If you want to go full screen, you have to download the video and sync it to the iPad. The email client on the iPad is pretty good. I like the way, as with many apps, you can turn the iPad up into the vertical orientation and it automatically gets rid of the sidebar and just displays the email. If you get email with graphics, the iPad does a great job of formatting those, as well as plain text email, of course. The calendar and contacts apps are nicely formatted. I think Apple's done a great job of really utilizing the additional screen size that the iPad has. I don't use the Notes application on the iPad as I have Evernote, which brings us to some of the third-party apps that I'd like to you know, give you a, a bit of information on, um, and I certainly wouldn't like to be without. The iPad is great for photos and mail and web browsing, etc., right out of the box, but it really comes into its own when you start to customize it with your own selection of apps from the iTunes App Store. Evernote is an application that basically allows you to create text notes which you can type directly in you know you can type these notes directly if you create a new note or you can edit old notes that you already have you can also uh, record audio notes and attach those to the notes in Evernote as well as attaching photos etc you can organize your notes into various notebooks and tag them for easy searching later. The beauty of Evernote, though, is that all of these notes that you create are automatically synced to a central server, and it's, it's a secure server, of course. And then if you install Evernote on your Mac or your Windows PC or even your iPhone or any other, many other mobile devices, you can continue to access notes that you made not only on that device but on all of your devices. If you're at, on a PC for example you can even capture entire web pages or copy PDF documents or just about any type of document to Evernote and have it available on all of your other devices. And there's no need for any manual syncing or anything it just takes care of all of that. You can only display certain types of documents, mine. The Evernote reader has to support that document type, but it does an okay job with Word docs and Excel files, for example, and PDFs. Although, you know, the PDFs are not optimal for the iPad, uh, but then none of the PDF readers really do a good job yet. Um, but there's a reason why I think that, and we'll get to that shortly. Evernote have a free account into which you can upload, um, I think it's 40 megabytes a month, and sync you know, between all of your devices without paying a penny. If you find that you're using it a lot more, uh, you, know, you, you want to go more than 40 um, megabytes of sync a month, then you'll need to consider the premium account for $5 a month or $45 a year. I have a premium account and I have not regretted it once, especially now that I can get all of my notes 
um, you know, right there onto the iPad too. For syncing files between computers more than notes, another service that I use is Dropbox. Dropbox has a free service where you can sync up to two gigabytes of data across many machines. Um, and then if you want to go above two gigabytes, there's a couple of options. For 50 gigabytes, it'll cost you $9.99 a month or $99 a year. And for 100 gigabytes, it'll cost you $19.99 a month or $199 a year. I have signed up for the Pro 50 account and now I sync my best images and all of my ebooks and other important files across all of my machines to save me from having to sync them manually. And of course, there's an iPad client for Dropbox that does a pretty good job at opening all of the common file types. It will also give you a, a basic image view so that you can view your JPEG images. But it does not have a, a slideshow feature in the iPad version as of June 2010. The iPhone client for the Dropbox actually has a very nice photo viewer and I'm sure it won't be too long before the iPad version has this as well. There are some great Twitter clients that have been redesigned for the iPad too. I have installed and continuously switch between two clients which are Twitterific and TweetDeck. Both are free for the iPad at the moment but Twitterific has some ads at the top of the feeds um, at the moment. I'll probably pay for a premium version when available just to get rid of the ads. TweetDeck has no ads and is still free. I prefer the layout of TweetDeck uh, on the iPad but I prefer the way Twitterific behaves for retweeting etc. They're both great though and I know that there are a bunch of other good Twitter clients out there but these are my personal favourites. Be sure to grab the iPad versions from the App Store when searching for these apps as you can download and install the iPhone versions and even use them but they don't really make use of your nice big iPad screen so I wouldn't advise it. We're kind of going off topic here of course in that Twitter is not specifically for photography but there is a pretty big community of photographers on Twitter that are sharing a huge amount of useful information all day long. So if you are not already using Twitter I suggest you give it a try especially if you've just bought an iPad. Continuing with the social networking for photographers theme if you use Facebook, you need to grab a copy of Sobeys for Facebook. This is a great app that gives you a view of the latest status update from all of your friends, as well as the latest images, links and videos. The Peopled tab is amazing in that it gives you a large-ish thumbnail of the profile photo for all of your friends. And I was actually quite touched by this seeing all of my family and friends from around the world that I have um, connected with on Facebook. As I scrolled down, I saw the faces of many of you that, know, that I know through the MVP community as well, and it was really nice. There's a Photos tab and an Events tab too that are great for seeing the shots uploaded from your friends and events that are being planned. 
the profile tab shows your own profile and all of your recent status updates and interactions. You can also scroll through a, a friend's thumbnail view on the left hand side and then you click on that to view their profiles as well. Another loosely photography related app that I did want to quickly mention is one that Roy Booth from the UK recommended on our photography forum and that is the Thomson Reuters News Pro application. This is a great app for catching up on world events as well as financial information such as currencies, markets and stocks. The photography connection here though is that the picture section um, basically gives you a, a full screen of thumbnails and when you tap on them you see a page that is mostly a photo from a current news event with some text sort of explanation and basically it tells you, you know what the photo is about what the little bit of news um, is in you know a bit of background for each one but it's a great way to view some amazing photographs at the same time as catching up with world events note that i'll i'll try to do a search and and add links into the blog post for you know the majority or if not all of these um, ipad applications i won't put them into the show notes for the uh, in the actual enhanced podcast and into the podcast thread because uh, feed because it you know it, it will limit us to the amount of information we can finally put on there so if you don't if you if you're not sort of in a position to make notes here then do go to the blog post and I'll try and find uh, all of these linked in iTunes in the App Store and I'll make a list of them. If you don't subscribe to Z digital magazines with a company called Zinio before you get an iPad, you have to start to use them when you do. Zinio have their own reader for the iPad as well as the iPhone and desktop computers, but one of the main things that I wanted to do um, on the iPad you know, before I bought it, was to sit and read my Zinio magazines. And here's the photography connection. For a few years now, I've subscribed to magazines like Popular Photography, Shutterbug, American Photo, and also Layers. Zinio subscriptions range from a bit cheaper than the hard copy to ridiculously cheaper and they're delivered to your computer or iPad as soon as they're released. There's no waiting for the postman and, of course, no postage charges. Also, with the advent of the iPad, innovative magazines like National Geographic are now making their magazines more interactive, including animation and video clips right there in the magazine. When my hard copy National Geographic magazine subscription runs out in December, I'll be switching to Zinio too. Not only is it a richer experience with the clear type and the amazingly clear and vivid photographs on the iPad, but the interactivity takes it to a next level. And no trees have to die to get me a copy. How cool is that? In my opinion, the Zinio reader for the iPad is the only ebook reader at the moment that has got it right when it comes to the way you you know, store and read books. You have a number of different ways to view your library of magazines and when you open them you will see either a single page view or a double page spread depending on the orientation of your iPad. 
if you have it horizontal you'll see two pages and you'll see just one page when the iPad is vertical. Of course there's a little button on the side of the iPad if you want to stop this from happening, say if you're reading lying down or something. When you double tap or use two fingers and zoom on a page you can zoom in even closer to you know to the to the text to make it easy easier to read if it's you know relatively small characters although it's possible to read most text without zooming when you have finished reading a page say if you have zoomed in a little bit you can just zoom back out quickly by pinching the page and then you just swipe in you know the direction that you want to turn the page and the book will advance for you if you touch the page uh, you know just sort of rest your finger on the page you'll get a nice uh, thumbnail bar so you can visually search through the magazines um, you know the, the pages of the magazine sorry and then tap on a thumbnail to jump to any page I have tried a number of PDF readers so I can read some of my ebooks that ha I've bought over the you know, last year or so but none of them so far have this rich a reading experience. A few of them have come close and some even offer double page spreads which I really want when reading an ebook even if you know I'll probably zoom in to actually read the text. I just want to see that double page spread initially especially with photography related ebooks. But you know the one reader that I found that does have double pages doesn't have a zoom function. They say it's coming, but I'm not going to call out the name of any of the other readers that I've tried until they get this feature right. One last application that I want to mention, because we photographers tend to keep track of a lot of websites uh, and information, is Early Edition, which is an RSS reader with a difference. RSS readers are often relatively boring and they just give you a list of feeds maybe down the left side and you know the feeds that you subscribe to and then when you click on them you see a list of the most recent articles on the websites that you know that you're subscribed to well early edition takes those feeds and creates newspaper pages out of them so you get a headline which is you know it's basically at the very top actually you get a the a big headline which is the title of the blog uh, or whatever it is that your RSS feed is you know subscribing you to and then you get the latest post um, as like as like the main news and then you get three more sections from you know the next three posts across another line and then you get uh, six smaller sections at the bottom of the page and these are the next six posts of course so you see the 10 most recent posts from your selected feed on the first page and it creates multiple pages of feeds if you know if that particular RSS feed has more than 10 posts in, in your know, listed. I'll put a screenshot on the blog and in the podcast, as I say, so that you can see exactly what I mean. Of course, if you don't have a 3G version of the iPad, if you sync before you leave home in the morning, you can read all of your favorite feeds offline while you're on the train or you know wherever you're going. There are a whole slew of other apps available, of course, and we're only just seeing the start of what people are going to develop for this platform. 
I have touched on the main apps that have been developed or updated specifically for the iPad today. All of the apps that I bought for the iPhone, including our very own MBP companion app for the iPhone, works fine on the iPad. And there's a little two times, uh, you know, double size button to, you know, even have these smaller apps fill the screen. They're usable, but I'm not finding them as aesthetically pleasing as iPad-specific apps, and they generally don't make good use of the larger screen size. A few other things to touch on before we wrap up for today are that the battery life on the iPad is amazing. I have used it pretty heavily for two or three days at a time before recharging the battery. This is a good thing too because most people don't realize that you cannot charge the iPad from most current PC uh, USB ports like you can with the iPhone or an iPod. Some Mac computers apparently have enough voltage on the USB ports to charge an iPad but from what I gather PCs generally won't do this. I find though that I can get at least a day or two out of the battery so I just sort of check to see how low, you know, how much charge is left before I go to bed in the evening. And if it's down to below 50, down to say 25%, I'll charge it overnight. For typing email, there's a, or any typing in any, you know, any um, character input, there's a soft keyboard that appears on the screen, which is okay. I usually touch type, which means I don't look at the keyboard when I type. And that is difficult because you don't have a physical key to rest your fingers on. But it's not impossible. The more I type, the easier it's getting to type relatively fast and without looking sort of, you know, down at the keyboard all of the time. There is a hardware keyboard from Apple for the iPad, but it docks to the iPad in the vertical position, which is just silly in my opinion. Pretty soon, someone will design a keyboard that allows you to dock um, to the, you know, dock the iPod in a horizontal orientation, and then it'll be worth considering. Because the iPod has Bluetooth, though, I'm sure that you can just pair up pretty much any Bluetooth keyboard as well, and use that if you want to. I really just don't see me using the iPad as a production machine, though. For me. It's mainly about consuming information with basic interactivity. Some people may have been expecting me to tell you how to load your digital photos on the iPad and manipulate them with various apps and upload them to Flickr or your website today. Um, if you were hoping for that, I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, and, you know, basically, I, I have literally no interest in doing this sort of stuff with my iPad. As much as I love this little baby already, I do not consider it the best device for doing that sort of thing. It's not that you can't use the iPad for some basic image selection and upload to a website. I just don't think I'll ever do it. I want to embed metadata into a file and do color management before I upload it anywhere. So, you know, all of that stuff, I, I just, if I need to work on images on the road, I'll take my laptop PC. It's just going to be so much easier on a laptop because it's designed for that sort of thing. So in summary, and this is the part that you have to print out to show your partner to get them to agree for you to buy an iPad. 
photographers are going to get more out of an iPad than most people, especially for the online photographer that makes the most of social media and digital communication to further your hobby or business. Whether you simply want to show your images to family and friends or are going to take the iPad with you to show potential clients your portfolio, the wow factor when you show people images on this device is huge. So far, everyone that I've handed the iPad to to view my images has just said wow initially and then their mouths drop open. The iPhone was great for showing images for, to people and because you always have it with you, it will continue to be so. But I'm going to be carrying my iPad with me as often as possible too because you never know when you're going to get a chance to show your images to someone. And the more you show your images, the more chance you have of getting assignments or selling prints, etc. I really believe that the iPod will change the way we consume our photography-related information, share our own ideas and information through social media, and change the way we interact with our clients and potential customers. Sure, it's only been 10 days for me, but this device has literally already changed my life. I'll update you again in a few months and let you know what the new applications are available then for the photographer. In the meantime though, if you're on the fence as to whether or not you, you want to pick up an iPad, I would just jump off the fence and run to the nearest Apple store. It, it really is an amazing little device. Before we finish, I'd like to also mention that there is a problem with the iPad in that it doesn't display the images in enhanced podcasts yet. I don't know if this is a bug or something that Apple did intentionally because the images in enhanced podcasts are too small to be displayed full screen on the iPad, but it doesn't work at the moment. I have provided feedback to Apple via their website and I'll update you if the situation improves, but for now, you won't be able to view images in the enhanced podcast. The good thing here though is that the blog and my online galleries and podcast page look great on the iPad so you can go and follow along on the, the website while listening to the audio on the iPad. And this may actually be a better option for now. Thanks again to our sponsors, WebSpy, for supporting the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, and also to Cather Bags for your support during this month. Thank you for listening today, and remember that you can find me on Flickr and Facebook, as well as Twitter, and of course my blog and photography forum. All links are on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com, so drop by and check that out. I'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, you just have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. This is Dave Warner, and I'm the host of the LensFlare35.com podcast. Each week I bring you interviews with some of the top photographers using digital SLR cameras. They share some of their coolest tips and tricks, techniques and news about what they're up to. So please take a moment to visit the website or subscribe to LensFlare35 on iTunes. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.